Hello and welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. This week's topic is intriguing. We explore the topic of business coaching, but doing it from the inside out. That's right, how to coach yourself. Today's show will explore how many ways we can work with ourselves to achieve the success we want. Of course, Taking Care of Business is made possible by our good friends at the EVU Group, Australia's first multi-brand real estate network. If only life came with a set of instructions. We've all said that at one point, trying to make sense of something that's happened or figuring out what we want our future to look like. For success coach and global speaker, Lisa Stevenson, it's something she hears every day and she's written a book to provide just that. Welcome to the show, Lisa Stevenson. Ah, uh, thank you so much, Jackie. Good to have you here. Now, your book, which I love the title, Read Me First. So I normally have a big pile of books. I get sent all these books quite regularly uh, to speak to authors. And, of course, uh, yours kept popping up. Right, I have to read this first. So yes. it was telling me what to do, which I think in this, in this age of speedy communication and too many choices, I think it cut right to the chase. So congratulations. I thought it was a great title. But it says, read me first before you write the next chapter in the story of you. So how did this book come about? Well, so the book is, I guess, 20 years of me working around the globe with all different types of people in different industries. And I really wanted to find a way to distill everything that I had observed and learned in working and partnering with them into a book. Mm -hmm. So it, it took a while to collate it, but I wanted to be quite focused on, because my background is working as a successful high-performance coach, that it's really about the work we have to do on ourselves that matters. So yeah. I, I wanted a book that was quite directive but mostly thought-provoking and allowed people to really get clear about what their version of success is. Okay, so are you saying that we don't need to pay for business or life coaches? We can do it ourselves? <laughs> are you trying to get them out of business? Or <laughs> Well, no, not necessarily. I, I don't think it's possible to invest in yourself too much actually. I think if we thought of ourselves as our most important project, that's exactly what we do. We go and consult experts in different fields who have different backgrounds to us. We'd set a plan, we'd get really clear about our vision, we'd have goals and time frames. So surrounding yourself with lots of experts is is absolutely um, a great thing to do. But Jackie Mm -hmm. I do think there's a lot that we can do for ourselves and the whole concept of purist coaching is about being responsible for your own life, career, health and well-being. So it's, it's quite, you know, the self-help industry can be seen as a bit warm and fuzzy but my experience of coaching is that what we're saying to you is that if you are being coached, you're saying that you're going to be responsible for your own development and growth. So therefore, that means you have to do the work. Now, did you use the term purist coaching? Is that what you used? Yeah, I did. Oh, yeah. I haven't heard that term before. And yeah. I think it's a really good descriptive one. Is that one of yours? Did you come up with that one? Um, I'm not sure. I may have stolen that from someone. <laughs> let me think about that for a minute. Yeah, well, you know um, what? So you can claim it today. There you go. Yeah, let's, let's just claim it today because no one comes to mind. But certainly, there's lots of different types of coaches. And it's important to understand that there's a there's a significant difference between a mentor, a coach, you know, a, a business consultant, 
a co- when we talk about purist coaching, it's someone who's coming in not to give you advice. A purist coach is someone who says, right, I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to ask you the tough questions. I'm going to support your thinking and how you distill and collate that into a plan for you. And I'm going to challenge back what I think I'm hearing in terms of your beliefs and values and make sure that your plan is aligned with the things that really matter to you. And I'm also going to, you know, call you out on stuff. Are you telling the truth? Are you prepared to do the work? How committed are you to this? So that's, you know, being coach should be quite a different experience to being mentored, for example. And you'll find in the industry, Jackie, that, you know, there are lots of people around who call themselves business coaches or lifestyle coaches. And, you know, that can be a bit different to a purist coach. Yeah, okay. That's that's a, a really interesting term. I love I love that. I love coming up new ideas, listening yeah, to new ideas yeah, and new something new. And new concepts. Well, you talk about thought provoking. So there you go. You've provoked my, you've been thought provoking yeah, with me. Right. Right. But others but I was thinking about that and thought the benefit of, you know, provoking thoughts and that can then shift your thinking and and get you on the path to making some adjustments or changing to improve. But then it got me thinking, are there some people that you just can't help? I think there's lots of people, actually. I think there's people who get quite stuck and they're not ready. I think there's many people who live in what I call the waiting place, Jackie, Mm. where they're not quite sure what next or they don't feel like they've got the right access to resources or um, financial uh, you know, money that they might need to go and develop something. People can really get themselves in the way of creating their success. So there are some people who also are, are quite attached to why things are hard. Mm. So, you know, there are people that walk into our coaching practice and we say, are you really ready for this? Because unless you're prepared to do the work on yourself, then you're already 10 steps behind. So, But mostly I find that people, most people are looking to be, you know, healthier, wealthier, smarter, better looking. There's not too many people who say I'm absolutely satisfied with, with where I am right now. Yeah, I think that'd be more scared. I think that fear would be a huge driver for those sort of people, I'd imagine. What do you think? Yeah, uh, look, fear is something that we, we manage a lot. Fear plays a significant role in how people think about themselves, how much they trust themselves. And and fear is something that can be quite paralyzing if the next chapter in your story requires you to be a bit brave. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So how do you build momentum? So momentum is about, you know, I, I say that if you're looking for a new job, it's a full-time job. You know, like every day you need to do something and it's the same if there's something different that you want to create. Create. It might be about study, you might want to run a marathon, you might have a fantastic idea to set up a new business or there's that next promotion that you want. Whatever it is, creating momentum is about doing one small thing every single day. Mm. Pick up the phone to someone who's outside of your network. Call an expert that you know is good in something you know, read a book that will stimulate your thinking, create some space to meditate. You know, the momentum is saying it's a non-negotiable for me to find a little bit of time each day to step out of being busy because we're so att- attached to that at the moment and just create some space 
for me to focus on what it is that I know is going to set me up for success going forward. Yeah, now I know uh, that you've done a lot of work globally and uh, I always like to pick the best brains in the business world. So, uh, and I know you've probably done the same when you've worked with some of the biggest global names, you've worked with CEOs, elite athletes and entrepreneurs. Were there any patterns amongst those people that you you saw that they had, you know, they had a common theme through it, through through, through their thinking? I love this question, Jackie. I love it. Because there are, and, and I think there are things that we can all do. So successful people... They're prepared to do what other people aren't. You know, they're prepared to do the hard work. They they know that part of being successful requires them to take some risk and to back themselves. They're also really good at having what we call a growth mindset Mm. and being quite open to learning. And they know that they're not perfect. You know, successful people know that there's things that they need to learn and they're great at surrounding themselves with other successful people. Yeah, okay. That's uh that's a very succinct pattern that they have <laughs> in common. That's good. Yeah, right across the board. Yeah. Right? It doesn't matter what, what industry or you know, they find ways. If you think about an elite athlete as an example, Jackie, they surround themselves with a whole team of people who will support them to achieve. Mm. So they might have their masua They'll have their coach. They might work with a psychologist, a physio, their training partner. So for us, you know, us common people in everyday life, we might not necessarily have access to those experts, but what do we have? You know, who are the people that we have around us? And I think people, whether they're starting out or at the top of their game, that are achieving and doing really well and and feeling happy with what they're doing, have found a way to tap into awesome people around them. Yeah, but I've always said that uh, business can learn so much from sport uh, and yeah. uh, excuse the pun, p- pun intended, warning alert, uh, is that <laughs> most people don't change lanes. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, which what I mean by that is that they stay in the same industry. So, you know, from a professional perspective, if they work in automotive, they'll stay in automotive. They might go a little bit sideways, but it's still automotive. And so people, you know, that work in sport tend to always work in sport and they don't tend to sort of veer from that. But, and same with, within, in business industries, but sport and its practice can teach business so much and uh, the, well, the other thing I, I often say is a reason Roger Federer still has a coach I mean greatest of all time still has a coach so there's mm. so with that thinking that business owners or or senior people in business should be having some assistance and wh- however that looks like whether it is a psychologist or whether it's a coach or whether it's a mentor or uh you know it could be that they go to meditation once a week they've you know or it's a massage or something but it's about having that team to help them perform at their best isn't it absolutely i really love that jackie and i think tennis you know that's a good example using roger as an example it's it's really interesting to me that People who seem to do well, there is a connection with them being prepared to get uncomfortable. So I love that you've kind of raised that scenario where a lot of us can tend to go along to get along. You know, we get on a particular path Mm. and it might not even be something that we've planned, but we get a tap on the shoulder for the next role. We can become quite attached to a particular industry. And of course, it's easier to work our way through in that industry because we If we're good at what we do, we've developed brand in that and so it's easy to move our way around. 
And what I see and know actually about people who really do tap into their potential is that they don't do that. They get uncomfortable and they go and find people to connect with in different industries and they'll deliberately step out of a particular industry and move to a different one to develop, you know, they can still use their transferable skills, but they're looking for what they can learn that's new. And that's how we develop muscle memory, which is another really great sort of term for thinking about how we coach ourselves, is how do we provoke ourselves and deliberately create situations where we feel a bit sick in our stomach, Mm. not because we're unsafe, but because we know we might mess it up. And that's when we best learn, Jackie. Yeah, and a lot of those skills are transferable. And I remember I had a mentor many years ago, thousands of years ago, uh, and he, <laughs> his advice was to zig and zag, you know, like to, to get as many different experiences, to put yourself in front of people you wouldn't normally you know, meet. Uh, and I must admit, that's one of the one of the drivers of this radio show because I get access to people that I may not meet in my own social or professional circle. Uh, and it's just you know the brain picking and sharing ideas and just getting your thinking differently. And it's also, um, but that that thinking as well is uh, really valuable for trivia nights because you you know <laughs> lots of stuff, right? Because you're working yeah. in so many different industries. And they're like, how did you know that? Oh, once upon a time I worked here or I did this or I volunteered for that or uh, and I think that it all adds to the to the to the pool doesn't it to the knowledge pool and the knowledge bank yeah absolutely absolutely I think as adults we are quite habitual which doesn't sound particularly sexy does it but you know we tend to go to the same restaurants we work in the same industry we have friends that we go out for dinner with on a Friday night and you know, we tend to have our circle that we hang out with and so we become quite habitual. You know, we, we even do our, our grocery shopping the same way. Yeah, and you know, uh, it's, it's because it's, it's safe. Well, no, it's true because <laughs> it's automatic thinking and if we can get into automatic mode, we don't need to think so much and it's easy. It's lazy, yeah, easy. Right. It's our brain looking for shortcuts, mental shortcuts yeah. and it's, it's One just One of the things I way. love about being a coach is that it actually is forcing themselves to step out of what's part of their normal day. Mm. You know, so when you sit in a room with a coach or have a call with a coach, it's really about saying, I'm now creating time and space to challenge my thinking so we can step out of those habits. I mean, the latest research says that about 95% of our thinking each day is the same. How boring does that sound? <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't because, again, it's back to that it's easy. But you know what? I think with this speed of communication, we're tending to crawl back into our shell a little bit because it's mm. so scary and threatening to our survival. And a lot of it's this unconsciousness. It's how we're hardwired. Uh, and so we're, we're reverting back to that behavior for a, from a survival technique because it's been, we're being bombarded uh, by the enemy, you know, our old brain's thinking the enemy, which is really just about information now. I, yeah, absolutely. Our brains are set up in a way to keep us safe. Yes. So we're constantly looking for evidence to make ourselves right. Mm. So it, it's a real challenge, you know, with the pace in the, in the society that we live in now. And, of course, we constantly hear people talking about how busy and full they feel. It's a very real challenge If you're someone who's thinking, how do I consciously live a life that is the one I want, that I am planning, the one that I've deliberately chosen, 
you know, I think that's the first challenge is to step out of being busy and to stop and get some clarity on what that even means because we are so overwhelmed by so much information every day. Then we're influenced by what our parents, what our family, what our friends think we should be doing and what success means to them. That by the time people end up in a coaching session, Sometimes I really don't know, Jackie. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a that's a good way to finish up. And I know you and I could keep going on with I this know, discussion. It's over already. There's so it's over already. <laughs> I know there's so much to talk about. But a really good place to start if uh, people listening have enjoyed this this conversation. I certainly have enjoyed eavesdropping on this conversation that Lisa and I have been having. Read Lisa Stevenson's book. Read me first before you write the next chapter in the story of you. It's out now everywhere you can buy books. Uh, I highly recommend it and I'm glad I did read it first. Lisa Stevenson, thank you for your valuable time today. Uh, Thank you so much, Jackie. Great. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest is an award-winning property investment specialist named by Australia Property Investor Magazine as one of the country's top 10 property specialists. His expertise has helped... Over 1,700 time-poor professionals secure more than $600 million in property to improve their lifestyle and replace their income. Renowned speaker and author, I'd like to welcome to the show, Bushy Martin. Hi, Jackie. Real pleasure to be here talking with you today. It's good to have you here, Bushy. Now, you've just released a book called The Freedom Formula, Live More, Work Less, and Leave a Legacy with Property. Now, I have to, my first curious uh, question was, why property? Yeah, that, that's a really good question, and it's a, a question I posed myself 20 years ago. What, what's going to be the vehicle that's going to use as little of my time, as little of my money, but grow my wealth uh, so I can focus on career and spending free time with friends and family. Mm. And the resounding answer after a lot of research is that if you're looking to grow a nest egg, there's no better vehicle than property. And the reason I say that is that uh, because of the way the good old government incentivises us around property, we uh, it's the only vehicle we only need to use a very small amount of our own money and we can leverage the bank's money and the fact that the banks are still prepared to borrow 90 to 95% of the property and banks don't take risks, they, they're all about making profits, is a pretty good indication that the, the banks see property as a safe place to put your money. And, and if you compare that with shares or equities, then you can only effectively leverage to about 40 or 50%. Now, I, I did a lot of research on what's going to be the highest growth asset over the long term. And if you go right back to 1924... Uh, you could split hairs between property and equities in terms of the growth rate. So if I can effectively use a lot less of my money and effectively double my exposure to property, and even, even if property grows a little bit less than, than shares and equities, I'm going to be a lot better off. So uh, what I like about property is that we're all time poor. Uh, we don't have much time. So if we set property up the right way, it pretty much looks after itself allowing us to continue to focus on building our careers, our incomes and spending what little spare time we do have with the friends and family. Yeah, because it's interesting. I I haven't had a lot of thought about that side of things. I mean, we talk a lot about superannuation and when you retire and what you're going to live off and the the self-managed super funds and things like that, but it's all about superannuation. And uh, and you just come from it from a little bit of a different angle because there's a real issue with the ageing population that people are not retiring on enough money. 
very scary, actually, and, mm. and there was a big reason for writing the book, Jackie. Uh, I'm very fearful for a lot of Australians because most of us have been brought up to believe that if we just work hard, uh, pay off our home, uh, we can then retire comfortably on our super. The, the numbers tell a very different and very scary story. Uh, according to the most recent ABS figures, would you believe that over 73% of Australians are surviving on an average of $15,300 a year? Now, that's, that's just $295 a week, Jackie. Mm. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of people say to me, oh, but I can get the pension. Well, you may be able to, but there's so many hurdles around the pension, and the pension's only $34,000 a year for a couple. The average income of Australians at the moment is about 150. So we're going to see potentially most Australians have their income drop by 90% when they try to retire. And super, I'm a bit of a control freak, Jackie, and uh, super is a great big bucket of money that the government is already starting to tinker with. They're changing the rules around super. Uh, they're making it harder to get to. They're starting to tax it more. Uh, given that propensity, I have some real nervousness around relying on super to do it. And it, let's be honest, if, if you're wanting to have a comfortable lifestyle, about $120,000 in today's dollars will give you that. You'll be able to travel on a decent car and, and do a few things. Mm. But uh, for $120,000, you're going to have to have about $2.4 million worth of super to sustain that level. Now, most people's super average is around the three, $400,000 mark. And if you're a business owner, it's even less because most, most business owners don't tend to put a lot into super. So I, my, my feeling is unless unless we take control of that process ourselves and really start to fund our future, then uh, it's going to be looking pretty grim. And uh, again, coming back to the freedom formula, what I've tried to do there is document a step-by-step process that people can take themselves through to really safely and affordably put them in a very comfortable position long-term. Yeah, now it's interesting because uh, the concept or the topic of property has been in the news a lot lately and uh, prices have gone through the roof, pun intended. And uh, I was just wondering, <laughs> do you think the bubble has burst? We keep hearing about this bubble bursting. What's your view? That bubble's been bursting for as long as I've been alive, Jackie. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's been a year that I haven't heard that mentioned in some format or another. Mm. And the, the reality is, uh, it, it, simple economics, it's all about demand and supply. Now, regardless of which measure you look at, we still have a very sharp housing shortage in Australia. And that's driven by three things. The, the, the thing that everyone talks about at the moment is population growth, and there's a lot of overseas immigrants boosting those numbers, no question. But underlying that, the, the hidden things that are continuing to put major pressure on housing are the fact that our the size of our housing and, and family units are decreasing. So we've actually seen that the average size of a family decrease by 40% over the last 30, 40 years. And then if you add to that the fact that most of us are living at least 20% longer and that that will continue to, to uh, extend over time, then you've got real demand for housing. So, uh, yes, we've seen rapid rises in Sydney and, and Melbourne and now Hobart, for that matter, over the last four or five years. But if you look at it historically... That's just catch-up, because would you believe that uh, over the last 15 years, Sydney's actually been the worst-performing housing market in the country? So uh, 
property goes through cycles and it will continue to go through cycles. And what tends to happen is it's not a nice straight line or a curve. It's, it's a bit of an S-curve, so it'll spike for four or five years and it'll go flat for about eight to ten and then it'll spike again for four to five. And providing we've got strong and sustainable incomes, and this is the key piece, actually, Jackie, mm-hmm. uh, where people can afford to continue to buy property, then we will see property values to continue to rise. Now, the, the net impact that will be that you'll just need to be more careful about where you invest. So there's always going to be areas that will outperform because they have strong economics supporting them. So I always follow the jobs as a simple answer. And if you do that, then I have a lot of confidence around the fact that property is still going to be a great place to invest. I think that's a, that's a good tip there. Follow the jobs. Uh, and I was going to ask you about, um, city, obviously the city, uh, versus regional hotspots. So what's your view on the growth in, in the region? I suppose it all depends on the jobs, I suppose. I'm, I'm answering your own it question. Does. And sustainable jobs too, Jackie. Mm. So, uh, um, hotspots and often not spots for me, uh, because as soon as it's being talked about in the press, you'd probably miss the boat. And there's been a lot of talk over the last 10 years about some of the regional areas associated with mining towns. Now, the mining towns simply uh, don't have the critical mass and they're a one-trick pony. They're reliant on one industry. What you need to be getting is in areas where there is a diversification of of, uh, employment opportunity and uh, a strong enough population base that's going to continue to sustain those incomes long term. So uh, in saying that, though, there's a couple of regional areas that, that I think do have some uh, very strong merit. And if we talk uh, in the Victorian region, for example, then uh, what the Victorian government is doing down around Geelong is going to uh, provide some really good affordable opportunity, strong employment growth, the uh, decentralising government and providing uh, centralising some of the uh, government department heads in those regions. They're offering stamp duty concessions. There's a whole bunch of exercises there and it's got a very strong population already as well as very strong infrastructure commitments. So we're seeing the expansion of the Avalon Airport. We're seeing the talk about the fast train from Geelong to Melbourne. Mm. You put all those things together and those sorts of uh, regional areas will do well. But if you're relying on a small town with a, a very narrow employment base, which is subject to the dynamics of the global market, then I would perceive those as pretty high risk. Okay, I was going to ask you some hot tips. Geelong, that's interesting. Now, I heard little birdie tell me Adelaide is underperforming and that's somewhere that people should be looking at. Yeah, well, this is yeah, this is really good, Jackie, because, uh, and I talk about this in, in the book, most people look at property through the rear vision mirror and they tend to look at historic numbers and often, therefore only move into an area after the growth has has just happened or it's very close to the end of its run. Whereas if we start looking with a telescope about what's coming up over the next 10 or 15 years and then use data that's supporting that, then we've got a much better chance of doing well. Now, surprisingly, there's been a a report done by a group called BIS Oxford just recently on property predictions over the next three years. And they've actually... Uh, predicted Adelaide environs as as number three around the the growth sectors around the country. Mm. Now, but but it's very localised. So the danger with talking property is that people talk about property markets. There isn't really a property market because every property and every location performs a little bit differently. 
uh, if we if we look at the top three, Jackie, just as an indicator of what BIS Oxford felt, uh, South East Queensland and Brisbane is predicted to grow by 13% over the next three years. Uh, Canberra comes in number two, and I guess there's no shortage of public servants, so um, and they're not at risk, so there's ongoing opportunity there. And then Adelaide comes in a close third, alongside potentially Perth. Now, I... I question Perth at this stage mm. because, again, Perth is very heavily reliant on the resources sector mm. and it's had an oversupply position and a vacancy rate that's pretty high across the board. So it's been bottoming, bottoming out for quite some time and I think it's got a little bit of distance to run yet before I'd be confident to put money into that area. But, but it is coming and it is cyclic, as I say. So it's a matter of uh, looking at where the cycles are generally but then focusing in on those high employment job growth zones in that area. So if we take Adelaide as an example, Jackie, uh, the the close eastern and western suburbs are very tightly held. They've got really good schools, so people will move their families into those areas just to get their kids into the school. Uh, they tend to attract professionals, middle management and entrepreneurs, so there's strong incomes driving it. So those areas will continue to do well, as will areas in Melbourne and Sydney uh, also, by the way. But the price point's a lot higher. So if you're wanting to do something in Sydney, you'll be spending over a million bucks to get into an area that's got price. Whereas in Adelaide, you're spending in those close suburbs around six to $700,000. So a major difference in how much you need to put on the table to secure that opportunity. Yeah, what's your view just quickly on residential versus commercial property? Yeah, another good question. Now, uh, if you look at the, the stats, uh, and it's all about where you're at on your own capital growth to cash flow journey. And what I mean by that is the deciding thing on what to invest in should be built around where is your nest egg now and where does your nest egg need to be. So if we take that example I mentioned before of you know 2.4 mil as a nest egg needed to give you an income of 120 grand, if your nest egg is not at 2.4, you need to focus on growth. Now, if you look at commercial versus residential. Residential experiences much more significant growth than commercial. But on the flip side of that, when you get to the point where you're just looking for cash flow, then commercial performs very well. So one of the strategies we suggest people look at, and I talk about this in the book, is that start with growth and then convert to cash flow. So start with residential property because it's very tax effective and if it's structured well, it actually doesn't cost you anything to hold. Mm. And at the point that you're then transitioning into uh, a period where you're reducing your work and looking potentially to retire, convert the portfolio into commercial. Now, the only, only difference there is if you're a business owner, then there's some quite significant benefits if you've got your own self-managed super scheme, so this is where you're controlling your own money, potentially to buy your own office premises because in that situation you've got a guaranteed talent which is you and that's quite tax effective to do so and if you hold that asset long term then there's no capital gains paid on that commercial property if it's your own office or operating premises. Fascinating so, stuff, fascinating stuff Bushy Martin. The Freedom Formula is your book, uh, Freedom for Entrepreneurs. I, I, I love the introduction when you've said the freedom formula is unashamedly written for you if you're a time poor professional who enjoys your work and wants to continue to focus on building your career your income and your lifestyle in other words you are an intrapreneur and i think that is a lovely summary of the book highly recommend it the freedom formula 
buy Bushy Martin, live more, work less and leave a legacy with property. I'm assuming, Bushy, it's available everywhere you can buy books? Absolutely. So you jump on Amazon or uh, Booktopia. Uh, they'll, they'll send it to you in a couple of days uh, in hard copy or Kindle version. Uh, yep, anywhere good books are sold, Jackie. Yeah, and bad books too, I think. <laughs> Anywhere books are sold. Yeah, wonderful. Highly recommended. Bushy Martin, thank you for your valuable time. I, I look forward to our next encounter because I gather from this conversation we've only just scraped the surface. We'd love to talk more, Jackie. I could talk for hours. As you can Let's do it, but it's, it's good. They're good words. So thank you again for your valuable time. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We hope you're enjoying this Eavesdropping on this interesting conversation, our next guest is a founder of Rad Bookkeeping and Business Solutions. She has been in business for over 18 years, which is an incredible achievement when you're running a small business and seems to be winning a lot of awards. Debbie Demoy, welcome to Taking Care of Business. Thanks, Jackie. Good to have you here. Now, 18 years in business, congratulations. Uh, that's enormous achievement for a small business. It is. Thank you very much. Been a lot of hard work, but um, yeah, still so, going, still going strong. That's great. So, what what's the key? Like, you know, if I was to ask you, eighteen years, what would be some of the the keys to that longevity? Uh, consistent, like just being consistent and having a. I know, I've got a passion. I have a passion for bookkeeping, and I love it. I love helping other small business owners. So mm-hmm. that's what keeps me going. Just seeing other small business owners succeed. Okay, I love the concept of consistency. That's uh, that's that's a really good tip. Now, you're passionate about bookkeeping. Were you, you know, when you were a child, did you? Were you always had a fascination with numbers? Uh, I love math. I did love math, but it wasn't something that I see myself doing. But when I started, I started off as a uh, working in an accountancy practice when I was 16, mm. and um, I just loved what they were doing and wanted to, you know, go further. So when I had my first child 18 years ago. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And it just goes from strength to strength from there. Okay. And so with the planning of your business or the strategic side, did you have a business plan or do you spend time planning? How, yeah, how, how do you do that? A, I have a business coach that I've had for years now. So I plan every month. Um, I have staff of eight staff. So I have to be forward thinking and thinking what's happening and the changes that are happening. So, yeah, every month I work on my business. Ah, so that's see that I think that would be one of the keys to your success as well. I'm a big fan of using experts and business coaches. I think everyone should have one. As I say, there's a reason Roger Federer still has a coach, greatest of all time, but still has a coach. So I think that's uh, that's another really good uh, pearl of wisdom from you. Now, the field of bookkeeping, it's quite a it's quite a crowded marketplace. There's lots of companies that claim, you know, accountants and bookkeeping and things. What's the difference between an accounting firm and bookkeepers? Uh, so bookkeepers more are the number crunchers and look after the day-to-day running of the business. Uh, we look at a lot of our clients. We look after all their employees, their wages, their paying of their bills. Um, so we're involved in their business every day, practically. Accountants are more of a advising on tax matters, um, tax returns, financials for the end of the year. They're more of, you know, they are all the tax planning. We're the business planning. So we plan for, you know, what money they've got, cash flow and that sort of thing. Okay. So how do you keep a step uh, ahead of competitors? Um, our passion is to the clients, you know, it's the main priority and 
we want to see clients' businesses succeed, like I said. So we like to make sure that their businesses are running properly. Um, we're always having personal contact with our clients. So it's, I think it's more the personal contact that we have. They're not just numbers. The client isn't a number to us. They're, you know, they're people and they're, you know, they're passionate about their business and doing what they do and we help them with the business side of things to keep that business running. You know, so we speak to our clients at least once a week. Oh, that's important because you're still dealing with human beings even though you're working with numbers, you're still dealing with people. Exactly. Yeah, so now you've won lots of awards recently. Have, is this the first time you've won awards or have you been winning awards over the 18 years? Um, no, it's probably the first. You know, I have won a couple over the time, but yeah, I think I've just got more of a name out there now. It wasn't something that I set out to achieve. Um, it just sort of happened because you know, I deal with a lot of the Mornington Peninsula businesses now. So, yeah, I was very surprised to win the awards that I won in May and um, I'm up for a few more in September. So, yeah, so you, you won the... It is exciting. Uh, you won the Peninsula Business Awards Businesswoman of the Year, but you're also... So that was uh, more of a local award, but as far as a, a state or a national award, you were in 2017 Telstra Business Finalist and uh, and if my sources are correct, Debbie, I believe that uh, the Myob, which is Mind Your Own Business Software Company, have uh, have nominated you for an achievement award. Is that right? Yeah, they've nominated me for two awards. So I'm up for lifetime achievement award and certified consultant of the year. So wow. that's pretty awesome from yeah. a company like MYB um, to be nominated by them. And so what does it mean to you and your business winning awards? Um, I get a personal satisfaction out of it. Mm. But it brings in more business as well. We've been Telstra Business Finals um, a couple of times and that is huge. It's a huge, your name's out there, the clients that come to you from that. Mm. Uh, just amazing. Like I didn't think that that would happen, but being in awards that gets your name out there, you're in advertising and things that you just wouldn't know that you were going to be in. So it's it's helped you with business growth? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Okay. We, we grow week to week, so it's definitely helped. And, you know, clients say it too, and clients are so happy for you. We're not a big, we should market it more, and we don't. You know, I had a couple of clients in last week that seen the awards on the table and, like, blown away by it. They were amazed. So how do you manage that growth? So if you've got, you know, you're getting your name out there, you're getting recognised uh, with these awards, you've got more people coming to you, how do you manage that growth? How do you cap it or do you just keep employing new staff? <laughs> um, I employ new... We don't usually cap it because you just don't know what's happening with businesses. You know, mm. businesses come and go as, you know, go out of business or sell their business and so forth. So we don't cap it. We never say no to any client. Um, doesn't matter how small, how big they are. And I do, I just internally train. So I get, you know, I've got a lot of staff and I like to internally train my staff. So they're trained based on how we work our business. Yeah, because the so staff are the... That's probably the hardest part, finding the good staff. Yeah, because they're... a great they're, team at the moment. They're the lungs of your brand, aren't they? It's like they're actually an extension of you. Uh, so it's important. And I'm glad to hear that you do, you spend, uh, you invest in training of staff because there's no way you can service customers without staff understanding what that means, I suppose. Definitely. Yeah. We like to all work the same way and, you know, that's how I think I've grown my business is by working at a certain level and, you know, client satisfaction. So I train all my staff to have the same 
morals, as you would say, as mates. Yeah, okay. And so have you got a thought in your head of how big that you want to grow? Have you got a plan like as to where you mm. want to be in five years or three years? I mean, do you want to go nationally or globally or you want to stay really local? I'm not interested in the franchising thing. We've got clients nationally, which, mm. you know, it's fine. Um, I'm in my this office now and I sort of want to stay where I am. Mm-hmm. I'm in a shopping centre now, so it's really good. Um, yeah, it's pretty much just consistency now. It's it just stays as it is. I'm, I don't know. If some, an opportunity came up, I just have to look at it at that yep. moment. Which shopping centre is your business in? Um, the Somerville Plaza in uh, Somerville Shopping Centre. Somerville Plaza. Uh, so anyone listening, driving through around that to drop in and see Debbie and the team at Rad Bookkeeping and Business Solutions. Now, Debbie, we, we talked about uh, over the 18 years the, the good and the bad, and I always like to talk about the bad as well because I think that's an area most people... Um, don't like to talk about and I think for business people wanting to improve they need to learn from failures and learn from other people's mistakes and things like that or how how do you stay motivated so when you've had a bad experience or you've got a bad day and you've got to just you know get out of bed that morning and, and get onto it is there have you got any sort of um, a mantra or do you tell yourself something how do you stay motivated I stay motivated because it's my business, it's my life. Rad bookkeeping is me mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I do it for my family. So I do it for my family. It's something, I've got four children, so I want one of my children to take over the business one day. So I keep going and just putting those, you know, showing them. I'm teaching my kids to be a worker um, and to love what they do. So that's my motivation. My motivation is my family. Ah, that's great. So if someone was, it's a good role model, if someone was wanting to start a business now and they came to you and said, Debbie, wanting to start our own business, what what's your one bit of advice you would give them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the one bit of advice I'll probably give them is to, uh, you know, save for their tax, like make sure they're putting away their GST and their tax. You know, I see a lot of big businesses fail because they think the tax office money, you know, isn't important, but it's money that you're owed, that is owed to the government department. You need to put that away, not your money. You need to actually have it there to pay them. If you're going to fail, you're going to fail because the tax office is going to put you under. Oh, that's great. That's really good practical advice. Uh, Debbie DeMoy, thank you so much for your time today. We wish you continued success in your business, and uh, and I'm sure I'm feeling very confident that you might be a MIAB Lifetime Achievement Award winner and maybe Consultant of the Year. That'd be cool. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jackie. <laughs> Thanks, Debbie. You're listening to Taking Care of Business right here on RWP FM. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. That's the end of the show. Can't believe it goes so fast. We hope you've enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation today. Picked up some tips, learned something new, or at the very least feel inspired. If you just joined us, you missed a lot, but you can grab this show on the podcast on the RWPFM website, rwpfm.com.au, or follow us on social media. Thank you to all of our worldly guests today, and we look forward to your company next Friday at 11am. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business.